0: Our text today is the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, verse 6 in particular. Our subject is truth. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What is truth? This is an important subject for us to concern ourselves with because in our age we tend to be primarily pragmatic in our approach, and because we are pragmatic and practical, we tend to neglect the basic philosophical issues of our time, and as a result the foundations are being destroyed. And we are scarcely aware of it. What is truth? The future of civilization rests on the answer to that question. Every civilization rests on a conception of truth. Its life is this faith in action. It prospers or falls in terms of its conception of truth. There have been, in the history of civilization, a number of conflicting ideas of what truth is, and in our present world we see these various historic conceptions of truth again coming to the fore, again pitted one against the other, contending for the mastery of the future, because we are at the end of an age. And the future is going to be dominated by whatever conception of truth prevails. We are going to see the prevailing conceptions go down the drain as the culture of which they are a part is destroyed. The first of these basic conceptions of truth is the answer given over and over again through the centuries by the varying forms of rationalism. And rationalism, historically, has seen truth as an idea, an ideal, a form. Truth as the form of being. The first great manifestation of this concept in Western civilization was in ancient Greece the Platonic, the Aristotelian, and other Hellenic forms of the formulation of this basic rationalism. In every case, whether in Far Eastern or Western civilizations, the result of this rationalistic approach to truth has been either a basic contempt of matter and of the material world, or of individuality or an ultimate relativism. In the rationalistic conception, truth is often seen as the unity of things, the oneness, the converging, developing pattern that leads to a unification and a synthesis. And as a result, there is a basic contempt of everything that makes for particularity, for individuality. The classic document expressive of this is Plato's Republic, which is a blueprint for the totalitarian state, for total communism, for an order in which the individual is nothing and the good is unity, the perfection of the whole. And today, of course, we see these rationalistic conceptions quite widely around us. In every instance, whatever the professed intentions of the individual, they are productive of the same sort of thing. In the Platonic tradition, there is this basic contempt of individuality, of particularity, in favor of oneness, in favor of unity. In other forms, truth is seen as spirit, as against matter. And the world of spirit is the realm of truth and the realm of matter is the realm of evil and of error and of baser things. And of course, this inevitably leads, as it has over and over again in the East as in the West, to asceticism. To a contempt of this world and also with it a contempt of individuality. The goal of being is to lose yourself in Brahma or in the mystical one. The wise man is the man who forsakes the material world, the lower world. But from the Christian perspective this too is fallacious because... The world of matter and of spirit was created by God wholly good. It is now a fallen world and both mind and matter are affected by the fall and a light evil apart from God and a good when regenerated. This too must be rejected. Then again, truth is often seen in this rationalistic perspective as the developing nature or entelechy of being. Being is developing, and as it develops, it manifests itself in a form which incarnates the truth of the day. And one of the more prominent thinkers of our day, Vogelin, is the best expression of his philosophy. Vogelin has quite a vogue among both thinkers of the right and of the left, but Vogelin's thinking is an ultimate relativism, because as he reveals in his study on order and history, there was a leap in being. As it were, being manifested itself in a forward stride and incarnated the truth of the moment in the Old Testament prophets. And then again in Plato and Aristotle, when there was another leap in being. And there was another leap in being with Christendom, and then no doubt he will go on to say another leap in being with the Renaissance and Enlightenment. And perhaps the next leap in being is world Marxism. Who is to know Because if there is this entelechy of being and there is this continual leap in being, who are we to say that the thing we hate today cannot be the truth of tomorrow? And this doctrine, far from being anything conservative or conducive to Christianity, is the epitome of radicalism. This, then, is in brief the rationalistic approach to the idea of truth. And it is a barren and a desolate wasteland. We cannot allow ourselves to be beguiled by this answer, even though many very lovable and appealing figures have offered the answer. One of the finest in our day, a very thoughtful and gracious man Richard Weaver in his various books essentially expounded this conception of truth perhaps his best work was ideas have consequences the second answer to the question what is truth is the Burkean answer. And Burkean conservatism, so-called, has emphasized continuity and tradition. Roots. We must pay our respects to Edmund Burke as one of the greatest analysts of the modern world. And certainly his contemporary Follower Russell Kirk is, again, an able and discerning critic. But when we deal with what their answer to truth is, we come across something that must stop us short. What if your tradition be Buddhism or Islam or it be cannibalism in Africa? Or are you then? It's a Berkean. Kirk has written in his book A Program for Conservatives on, and I quote, the necessity to any high and just civilization of a conscious belief in the value of continuity. Continuity in religious and ethical conviction. Continuity in literature and schooling. Continuity in political and economic affairs. Continuity in the physical Fabric of life. I think we have neglected the principle of continuity to our present grave peril. So that with us, as Aristophanes said of his own generation, world is king having overthrown Zeus. Men who do not look backward to their ancestors, Burke remarks, will not look forward to their posterity. If we retain any degree of concern for the future of our race, We need urgently to re-examine the idea of an eternal contract that joins the dead, the living, and those yet unborn. Even if we have lost most of that solicitude for posterity, still we may need to return to the principle of continuity out of a simple anxiety for self-preservation. End of quote. According to his own words, this is a belief in the value of continuity. And as a consistent exponent of this concept of truth, Kirk has repeatedly made it clear that in 1776, during the American War of Independence, he would have been a Tory, a loyalist of Britain. And this is commendable honesty on his part. But let us add something further. Had he been in Jerusalem at the beginning of the Christian era, he would have been with the Sanhedrin and the mob crying, crucify him because he is destroying our traditions. And in the USSR today, he would be a Stalinist with the old Bolshevik tradition. Over and over again, this has appeared, and over and over again, its impotence is apparent. It has all the fertility of a mute. The Burkean tradition is that of a spectator on the sidelines, calling attention to the need for roots, but denying the truth, or bypassing the truth that makes for roots. And perhaps the most devastating use made of the Burkean tradition was made some years ago by Harold Rugg, one of the most prominent of the leftist educators. Because in his very, very important series of textbooks, which for years dominated the public schools of this country and set the pattern. What he did was to say it is the socialist tradition that has the roots in America. The stronger roots, because see what has happened then. And he simply went back in his textbook series to the beginnings of America, to every socialist element traced their roots to the present and said, thus you see how deep are the roots of this tradition. And if we are going to emphasize continuity and tradition, we must therefore, he said, in effect, be socialists. This is the faith that has roots. This then is the second great answer to the question, what is truth? That there is a third answer an answer which is becoming most vocal nowadays on the campus on the part of the new student left truth as factuality factuality per se is truth as one of the leaders of the movement has said summing up the creed in four words truth is what is Thus, homosexuality is the truth, as well as normal marital relations. Every kind of perversion is equally the truth. And this thesis was given very vocal and scientific formulation by Kinsey in his reports, in which he equated every form of sexuality as equally normal, as equally true, because equally existent in nature. Anything that can happen is ipso facto, natu- facto, natural, normal, and true. Truth is what is. And this creed is on the march all around us. And this conception of truth, truth is what is, is increasingly dominating our legal framework, so that you have a Justice of the Supreme Court, William Douglas, declaring that every folkway, every culture, every religious practice the world over must be preserved. Otherwise, we are guilty, the implication is, of genocide. How dare we try to, as Christians, eliminate cannibalism or anything else? Truth is what is, and the cannibal's faith is equally true with your faith in Scripture. And the practice of every pervert is equally valid with that of every saint of God. Truth is what is. This is the third answer that we have seen. A very vocal answer, and again we must pass on. The fourth answer is that which we find in Frederick Nietzsche, in its classic formulation, true as beyond good and evil. And I quote, The falseness of an opinion is not for us any objection to it. It is here, perhaps, that our new language sounds most strangely. The question is how far an opinion is life-furthering, life-preserving, species-preserving, perhaps species-rearing, and we are fundamentally inclined to maintain that the false, falsest opinions are the most indispensable to us. That without a recognition of the lo- of logical fictions, without a comparison of reality with the purely imagined world of the absolute and immutable, without a constant counterfeiting of the world by means of numbers, man could not live. That the renunciation of false opinions would be a renunciation of life. A negation of life, to recognize untruth as a condition of life. That is certainly to impugn the traditional ideas of value in a dangerous manner, and a philosophy which ventures to do so has thereby alone placed itself beyond good and evil and quote. This then is the Nietzschean position. And a contemporary philosopher, Levi, has very aptly characterized it as the will to illusion. The will to illusion. The falsest opinions it is held are the most indispensable to us. And this opinion, too, of truth beyond the good and the evil is all around us today. We find it in every church. There is scarcely a church today where you do not find the scripture read, the Apostles' Creed recited or sung, and the Orthodox doctrines of the faith maintained, but not as the truth. Because these are indispensable people like these illusions and let us give them these illusions because lies are a part of the truth an indispensable part and we need these fictions in order to keep the world moving and who are we to say that a lie isn't the truth when it moves men and civilizations. Instead of truth. Then. This view. Actually has men moving in terms of power. And indeed power becomes the basic motive Wherever men neglect the truth. But in the Nietzschean view they are more honest they move openly in terms of power and power ultimately becomes political in its interpretation and politics draws in every age and especially ours, such men whose lives are not grounded on truth therefore force in their lives is power. But there is a fifth and a decisive answer to the question of what is true. Our Lord declared, I am the truth. Grace and truth came into being in Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ, declared the Apostle John. Truth is Jesus Christ, his person and his word, the scriptures. Here we have truth, ultimate, absolute, supernatural, a divine authority and standard. And every view which denies this must be to us a lie and equally an enemy. The truth must be Christ for us or we fall into these basically humanistic and anti-Christian schemes. But St. John declared, by him were all things made and without him was not anything made that was made. Since Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was the creator of all things, he therefore is the fundamental principle of interpretation By whom all things are to be understood. So that no realm is comprehensible apart from him. And the basic principles of knowledge in every realm are only to be derived from him. By him were all things made. And without him was not anything made that was made. And therefore, if this be true, nothing can stand, nor be understood, nor prosper apart from him. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. As our Lord declared, if ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. There is no truth apart from Christ. Every attempt to build apart from him is under judgment. Nor is there any way to any goal apart from him. Nor any life apart from him. Since he made all things to be separated from him. is to have only a living death. With hell at the end. As the scripture declares, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. A picture which gives to us vividly and symbolically a picture of total frustration. Of total meaninglessness. Of total isolation. Of no person related to anyone else. For the absence of Christ leads ultimately to the totality of hell. In this part, in life, in part, and in the world to come in its fullness, in which there is no community, in which there is no meaning, in which there is no communication, only total isolation, their existence. For the world, word for hell in the New Testament is literally Gehenna, the city done, the strapped of all creation. All living apart from Him has one goal, destruction. But in terms of Him, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And Jesus Christ comes as the Logos, the very Word of God, and as a destroyer of all rationalism because rationalism, in that it begins with the autonomous human mind, denies reason. And as Dr. Van Til has shown in his various philosophy books, every form of rationalism ends in irrationalism because it denies the very principle of reason. Jesus Christ comes not only as the destroyer of rationalism, but as the destroyer of tradition, of the concept of continuity. He came and he ended the concept of continuity in Rome. He had to take the place. He was the living tree, the living vine, the living root. And no tradition apart from him could have any standing.
1: And he went into
0: northern Europe and into Britain and Africa and Asia and into the Americas as the destroyer of the traditions that existed Is the principle of the new life and of the new era. And his claim is exclusive. I am the truth. I am the dawn. There is no future in time or eternity apart from me. There are many. Another conception of truth derived from rationalism or from tradition, offering various compounds to these concepts of truth. However, much we may respect and admire much that these men have to say. In the standard of all prophets, the law and the testimony. If they speak not concerning these, there is nothing in them. There is no light, no truth in them. Lord, said so the disciples of old, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou art the Son of the living God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast declared Thyself in the person of Jesus Christ the truth. And we pray, our Father, that we may seek no other foundation. But that we may ground ourselves upon Him who is the truth, and day by day know that because we are established upon Him, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. For if Thou art for us, who can be against us? For this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our God we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions at this time? Yes. Um, Living, not going to happen, living, not. Right. This is a very common opinion in our day, and it is an opinion that was born with the Enlightenment and has considerable respectability in our time. The answer to that is, of course, that we are not. Because the goal of the Buddhist is extinction, nirvana, oblivion. And his conception is, first, that there is no God, and second, that there is nothing but a total meaninglessness to life, and the best hope that you can have is to escape from life. Now, how can you say this person has anything in common with you who believe in truth, who believe that life has a meaning and that you are not to forsake this world in terms of a quest for oblivion. Now, this is just Buddhism contrasted with our faith. And the difference is fantastic. If they say we are all going to the same uh, end and have the same purpose, they are denying the total meaning of language the total meaning of ideas. They are reducing all things to nothingness and they are seeing that all things are equally meaningless so that their position is nonsense. Then you can tell them if we're all headed for the same thing why aren't you a cannibal? Because the cannibal's way is equally valid with yours. You've equated all ways as equally one way to God why don't you take the cannibal's way and his answer will be well of course I am in my tradition and you can say then you're saying the cannibal's tradition is equally valid with yours in other words you are equating all things so that you say there is no truth if there is no truth what need is there to change anything because everything is perfect as it is then everything is equally valid the position is logical nonsense and such people are fools no the Jew does not have the same God as the Christian the Hebrews did but Judaism left biblical faith it makes no pretense now of being biblical it has since the 18th century declared that its primary faith is in the Talmud rather than in Scripture. And this was apparent even in our Lord's time who said to the leaders of the people, you make the word of God of none effect through your traditions. And the... uh, Old Testament faith was clearly Trinitarian. After the Apostolic Age, Judaism became Unitarian and steadily humanistic, so that Judaism today is a form of religious humanism. It is the same thing as unity, basically. Unity is Judaism for the Gentiles. It is the same thing as the Unitarian Church, as the Ethical Culture Society. There's no difference. So that God for it is just a word, whatever social process they want to give that name. And of course, many of these people today feel that they should drop the word God because it has too many connotations and it's best to retire the word. Yes. I was wondering how they teach comparative religions in college today. I mean, do they really explore the different ones? In what kind of an approach do they have when they come out that like they're all equal? Yes, it tends to. I know in one of the major universities of the West, the Department of Comparative Religions is headed by a man I used to know and studied under for a time, and this is his perspective. All religions basically are one. There are degrees uh, of progress in these religions, but basically... He reduces them all to a mystical interpretation whereby man is striving for a higher goal and it ends up looking very much like Hinduism. And uh, his disciples have a disconcerting habit as far as their um, parents are concerned of going in for a lot of uh, Hindu exercises and uh, yogi practices and the life. So that even though these comparative religions depart- departments, as this one, tend to equate all religions as one, they pick one particular one as the superior one. No. Not Christianity, no, they are uniformly hostile to it. What we fail to realize is that the great offense of Christianity is that it is God centered. And it has been exceedingly rare in the history of mankind, and this may seem like a strange statement, but it is true for any religion even to have a god. Most religions have not been theistic. Buddhism has no god. Taoism has no god. Confucianism, which began as a philosophy and became a religion, has no god. Hinduism and Shintoism have no God, but they have many divine spirits, and all of us are divine spirits, ultimately. And you can go on down the line, and you find that most religions have no God. About the only place you find anything that resembles a God is in something or other which is derivative from the Bible. Mohammedanism has a God, Allah. But Allah has no resemblance to the biblical God, and Allah really boils down to fine and total determinism. Just a a total mechanistic, deterministic power that's at work. And ultimately, the personal things in Mohammedanism came to be the jinns or the genies, or these um, many minor spirits, superhuman spirits that are revolving around the world and are involved in the affairs of men. Because Allah is totally impersonal. He is a mechanistic force which totally determines all things. But really, basically without personality. Well, then, from the scholastic viewpoint, even though it's humanistic, do they pretend that we're all seeking the same thing, that we're all looking for the same, or do they pretend it, or are they honest? They are, well, this is a generalization because some uh, are not honest and others are. For some, the only valid interpretation of Christianity is a mystical one. These people who wrote the Bible, they say, were naive and simple-minded people. And if they only knew the truth, they would have known that in the midst of all this nonsense they were writing, they expressed vaguely certain things which are possible to construe mystically. And we will put this mystical interpretation on it. And so they will interpret Jesus as one of the masters of India supposedly, according to some of these people who went to India, you get into all kinds of nonsense here. But at all costs it has to be reinterpreted. And of course, the present trend is not only to a unification of all the churches in terms of this one religion kind of faith, but a one world religion. And some have already outlined the holidays as I've stated before of this one world religion the feast of wisak a buddhist festival the feast of the resurrection a a kind of a spring rites festival the rebirth of nature annually and the third the festival or feast of humanity which is the basic one all these faiths are basically humanistic And they want to reduce Christianity to humanism. Yes. Well. To leave it out entirely. If it is to be taught as comparative religion. Because comparative religion. As a subject. Means that all religions are basically one. This is the presupposition of this entire school of thought as it developed in the last 100 to 150 years. So the subject preconditions the conclusions. To study various religions is another matter, individually, but comparative religions studies them all as one so that you are studying Christianity and Buddhism and Shintoism and animism and all of these as one religion. This is the unwritten presupposition. Now, I think it is well to note what Gordon Clark, one of our better philosophers of today, although I don't agree with Clark in many areas, but Gordon Clark has stated that There is no such thing as religion. There are religions. But what can you identify as religion? What do they have in common? His answer is, it is impossible to say because you can't say they have a belief in God in common because most of them don't. What do they have in common? A belief in a life after death? Many of them don't. A belief in truth? Well, many of them deny that there is such a thing as truth. What do they have in common? And he says, nothing. There are religions. There is no such thing as religion. And comparative religion says there is A religion behind all religions, and this is what we are teaching you. Thus, I would approve of the teaching of courses in Buddhism or in Shintoism and so on, but not in comparative religion. Mm-hmm. Well, humanism of course <laughs> epitomizes the comparative religion's perspective. Yes. Uh, right the absolute truth of creation is uh, challenged by the alphabet. Do you see any relation of the, the alchemists of yesterday with the synthesizers today of the uh, uh, DuPont laboratories that we'll take wood and bring a stack on products of this nature? Very, very discerning question. The alchemists are again very popular and are receiving extensive study on the part of scholars today. Because the attitude today is the alchemists were basically right, that they were very crude and foolish in their method. The basic principle of the alchemists was that there is nothing fixed in nature, that it is basically a developing, changing thing, that it can change from one form to another and therefore it will be easy to take one thing and make it another. Now, this is, in essence, what the modern scientist believes. His perspective is totally evolutionary. There are basically no laws there for him. Nature is malleable. He can make of it what he will. And the thesis is, man can now make himself, as one book has stated in its title, because he can control his own evolution, And he can remake the whole world of nature because it is totally malleable. There is no form there, really, no law. Therefore, it is totally open to his control. And they are alchemists by intention, but they are far more sophisticated alchemists. And they believe they are going to make what they want out of nature of creation and this stems from their total contempt for creation we've referred uh, sometime back in our discussions to the, this problem with regard to uh, operations for example these animal parts that they put in men now they know what they're doing they know that every fiber of our body is absolutely different from everyone else's so that not only are you different from every other kind of creation you are different so that a piece of your skin a few cells of your body are discernibly male rather than female but you are also different from every other male totally unique And your body continually resists any invasion by any other alien organ. And so it rejects a transplant. So what they have to do is to bombard your blood, either by radiation or through chemical uh, therapy, to break down its resistance. But what happens is that ultimately the person dies. They manage to keep him alive sometimes for months. But his body rejects this alien organism, and this alien organism is at war with his body because it's not its own body, and the two are at war. But they know all of this, and yet their thesis is we're going to break it down somehow. We're going to be alchemists, you see, with the human body. Because we deny that there is any fixed law in nature that we cannot change. And if we only unlock, for example, the genetic code, we're going to do this and that. And we're going to produce geniuses at will. And a superman. But we are the modern alchemists. Uh, a very good question, because the alchemists certainly are among the most highly respected uh, persons today. And it is significant that one of the most notorious or, as you will, greatest of alchemists, Paracelsus, is having his complete works reprinted in a special edition because of the extensive philosophical and scientific interest in what he represented. The... uh, addition of Paracelsus is not a cheap thing to publish, and I think it will cost 75 or or $100 to buy the four or five volumes of his works. But it is a testimony to the tremendous interest in alchemy. Yes, one more question. Is there any medical reason why a person would be uh, homosexual? i talked to people who. Believe maybe three of the way that it is sinful, that sir, they would like a real medical scientific opinion, that, uh, that there is some failing or part of wrong. Yes. And so forth. Yes. This constant attempt is to find a medical answer to what is basically a moral problem in order to escape and evade the fact of human responsibility. And this is a very um, enticing kind of thesis because first it makes the person no longer guilty for his condition. It's a medical thing. It's an accident of uh, hormones or of uh, body chemistry. Then it becomes a medical problem to cure, you see Then you reduce evil and sin generally by this thesis, problems of mental health, you know, to a matter for experts rather than individual responsibility, and you turn over society to the social engineers. And this is the basic thesis of all these opinions. All our problems are ultimately reducible to matters which are amenable to the social engineers. Therefore, let us destroy the biblical doctrine of the responsibility of man, of man as a sinner. And we will say it is a problem of environment, of chemistry, of uh, heredity, and so on. And then the social engineer can deal with it. And when you've said this, you have destroyed what we know to be Civilization. And you've supplanted with total statism the rule of the social engineers. And this is, of course, what is being preached, this kind of doctrine, by the churches today, more than anyone else, I would say. And by the state schools and on all sides. It is a deadly doctrine, and it is a doomed one. It is fallacious. Well, our time is up, and the stand is <laughs>